0: That shouldn't be our identity. Our identity is the result we have with our customers, not the inside of how things happen in our firm.
1: And here we go with episode 71 of Future Proof. I've been your host for all of them, by the way. Bill Sheridan's the name. And we're officially closing out summer with this episode. Actually, I, th- I think that actually happened last week, but I missed it. So what the heck? I'm making it this week. Deal with it. <laughs> so so summer's over. October's here. Things are changing. The leaves are getting ready to fall, right? It's, it's getting cooler, hopefully. <laughs> I mean, I usually look at September as the end of summer, but September was damned hot. I mean, pretty much 90 degrees every day where I am. That's St. Louis, by the way. Uh, not your typical... September. But then again, weather-wise, there is no typical anymore. We are in uncharted territory, my friends. But but that's the state of our world today, isn't it? And not just when it comes to the weather. Change, change is the new normal, and that can be an uncomfortable thing, especially, especially for CPAs. But for those who are ready to embrace it, to adapt a more nimble and flexible mindset. There's a lot of opportunity just waiting to be taken advantage of. The question is, how how do we do that? How do we start embracing flexibility and fluidity as competitive advantages? How do we start thinking about transforming our very business models so that we'll remain relevant in a changing and complex world? Those those things aren't baked into our DNA, are they? Uh, But here to help us figure it all out is Will, Hill. Will is the tax professionals advisory product manager for Thompson Reuters. He's been with TR for more than 18 years. He's been twice included on CPA practice practice advisors, 40 under 40 list. And he's an innovator with TR's practice forward service offering, which is focused on helping firms make the transition to having client relationships that are centered on advisory services. And that is a pretty big change in and of itself. And yes, client advisory services plays a big role in this conversation. So just fair warning. And we'll get to that conversation here in just a minute. First, let me tell you that this week's show is sponsored by the Business Learning Institute, which delivers competency-based curriculum courses, content, and community to maximize career trajectories, and grow intellectual capital for organizational and executive leadership. Hundreds of courses by dozens of instructors and unlimited customization. Find out how the Business Learning Institute can help you by visiting blionline.org. So, in the CPA firm world, talk of business model transformation and, and client advisory services, or CAS, as they're often called, These things go hand in hand. A lot of firms are starting to realize that in order to successfully offer client advisory services, they need to reform their entire business model. And in many cases, those models don't easily accommodate these new higher value services. So what kinds of changes are required to do CAS right? Well, a recent article in Accounting Today offers some ideas. It's titled Inside CAS, Promises and Pitfalls. And the article featured Accounting Today editor Dan Hood interviewing some cutting-edge practitioners and firm leaders and industry experts to shed some light on the opportunities and potential landmines that client advisory services offer the profession. And this passage caught my eye. Hood asked the panelists, What pitfalls should firms be aware of when they're launching or transitioning to a CAS practice? Here's what they said. Uh, Hatendra Patil, uh, Director of Customer Success at Accountants World, and by the way, a previous guest on this podcast, he said one such pitfall is, quote, expecting CAS to be an add-on to existing ways of working. He said, quote, CAS can fundamentally change some of your current internal processes it means your people have to learn some new ways and unlearn something that they did for years. It is an addition and a modification, but also a deletion of some of your processes. Your people will also need to learn the new components that you may need to add to your technology stack end quote and Kenji Kuramoto CEO and founder of Acuity, he had this to say, he said, quote, the biggest mistake I see firms make when starting a CAS practice is not understanding that the cadence of CAS services is entirely different than the traditional service lines within CPA firms. CAS work is often performed on a weekly, if not daily basis. I've yet to see a firm successfully launch a CAS practice by staffing it with tax staff who are out of their traditional busy season times. Using this approach, you may gain a few clients in the summer, but you'll likely lose them and burn bridges with clients come tax season when the same staff have to up their utilization for tax work. Using a dedicated team for CAS is essential, end quote. And Liz Mason, CEO of High Rock Accounting, she had this to say. She said, quote, providing CAS for hourly rates, rather, is always a bad idea. Try to price your engagements based on the percentage of a full-time equivalent salary. It gives you a good base for clients to respect the value of what you are doing for them and respect you more for it. And then there's this from Michael Cerami, uh, Vice President of of Marketing and Alliances at CPA.com. He said this, quote, Firms need to assess workflows and processes that optimize the technology. Sometimes this means turning your business model on its head, and practitioners don't like to take a departure from what's familiar to them. So the change management component can be the real challenge. Objectively assess your firm's strengths and weaknesses first, and then develop a a solid strategy, rather, for the type of CAS offering you want to put in place. We've developed a lot of resources to help firms make this transition because it's critical, end quote. So there it is. In a world of exponential change, making just one change to your service offerings, offering client advisory services, for instance, can mean wholesale changes for the entire firm and its business model. And that's that's hard stuff to come to grips with. But that's where my guest this week, Will Hill, comes in. Will and I talked about how a tradition-based profession like accounting and finance gets started down the path toward business model transformation. And we also talked about some logical first steps toward implementing client advisory services as well. So this is a, this is a great conversation with some real practical real-world advice for making changes that many accounting and finance pros might find a bit uncomfortable. So let's get comfortable with those changes, shall we? Here then is Will Hill. So Will, thanks for being here. Interested on your thoughts on this. So, I mean, it's no secret. We're living, you know, in a time when things are moving faster, never. Things are, are kind of changing a lot and and more chaotic than ever and and it seems you know the ability to to be nimble and flexible and roll with the changes is is more important than ever as a result so and i think from a from a business model perspective when we're talking about how we run our our businesses that can be a really uncomfortable thing so so help me understand why this notion of transforming our business models is more important than ever or 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 is it even
0: Sure. Thanks, Bill. You know, I really think it absolutely is critical. One of the things I think we have to think about is why did we get in business in the first place? And I have yet to hear anybody say, because I wanted to execute this particular business model, right? The, the <laughs> model is not the why that's right. behind it. The why is about... Serving the customer, helping others, helping educate, uh, illustrating things, showing growth. And the model is simply the means to the end. And I think that we get very hung up in the tangible model that is and represents our day to day. And sometimes when we have to shift that model, we forget that that shouldn't be our identity. Our identity is the result we have with our customers, not the inside of how things
1: happen in our firm. No, that's a really good point. And and uh, what does business model transformation even even look like? I mean, g- give me an example of, of of that kind of transformation in action. Sure, I,
0: I think it looks like a very interesting mixture of both predictive and reactive. And so I'll say it like this: we. We see that we've got to change things, continue having positive results with our customers. And so we're reacting to some degree to say, hey, we've got to do things different to still have a good result with our customer. And, and then we've got to try stuff we haven't tried before. And we might try it in pockets, might try it in pieces. And those are the things that are trying to be a little bit more predictive. Hey, we're going to try this and see if we can have this outcome. And then we measure, we get a little bit more reactive at that point. Again, hey, that didn't quite work. We're going to modify this as as we go. So I don't think it's about, all right, let's draw it all out. It's going to be perfect and we'll change everything in one fell swoop. I think that uh, you're sorely mistaken if you believe that's going to work. Mm-hmm. It's about being iterative. It's about really reading um, the effectiveness of small changes in, in the scope of the whole that you're making.
1: So, in, in a profession like ours that's as tradition-based, you know, as accounting and finance, how, how do we start to make that move? What are what are some logical first steps? Toward a you know adopting a mindset that's geared toward that type of transformation.
0: Well, I think you already said the keywords, and it was first steps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I have met so many in this profession, uh, and I do this in my own household sometimes, who fall prey to paralysis analysis mm-hmm. or analysis paralysis, whatever you're supposed to say for that one, Bill. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, and it's just a matter of saying, oh. There's so many things we could do. I don't know what to do. Or I don't know what to do at all. Where do I go? And we have gotten ourselves so busy day to day that we can tend to ignore it, get sucked into the business, and things are passing us by. We don't even realize it. So you got to do something first. You've Mm got to make a move. It's not about the perfect move. It's about a move. Because until you start to do something different, your learning cannot begin.
1: Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm so and what what might be a logical first move then as you know as as you're trying to figure out what to do i mean what 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 could be some some logical first steps
0: so if i'm gonna have to pick a first step to do i think it's about First, how do I communicate with my clients about what value I bring to them? I think that that is one of the things that's under siege right now, right? Is um, we have fee pressure from commodities. We have customers having accessibility to... um, tools to do it themselves. We have lower barriers to entry with the cloud from a competitive perspective all over the place. So we've got to reaffirm our value with current customers. We've got to be able to state our value maybe differently uh, with new customers. And I think that's a good place to start is To say let me think about how I'm presenting my value to you. Because that's the trigger. If I, if I present my value to you in a particular way, Bill, now I've got to think differently about how do I deliver it right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and if we try to start with thinking about how am I going to deliver differently with without thinking about how am I presenting it to you, our relationship isn't going to shift from a, a business-to-business relationship. And so we've got to think first about how do I share that value and then let the delivery and the kind of the back-end process adjust and flow with the front-end
1: start. So it's, it, it can be as simple as just having a conversation um, with, with our clients about what what they find, what they find valuable, and, and... absolutely,
0: yeah. And I think there's. I ran into a firm that uh, at one of our partner summit events, uh, who had his staff go survey all his clients, just to ask them a simple question: What is the most valuable deliverable we provide for you? Right, and what a great way to learn. What a great way to open up space for conversation and to really rethink how are they delivering value. And now they can begin to look at how do they center some of those things around the production process as well.
1: Yeah, a pretty powerful example. We 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 work pretty closely with a, a there's a firm in, in in Maryland, central Maryland that uh, um, the, the managing partner was telling us a story at one point where they were they were sitting down to have a conversation with a potential new client. It wasn't somebody that they were working with, but they had hoped to and. And the partner who was uh, uh, running that conversation simply asked the the potential client, uh, "Where do you want to take your firm? Where where do you see this firm going in, in five to ten years?" And and the the potential client hired the firm like on the spot, and it was, it was kind of a surprise to the partner. And he, and he asked him the question: "He's like, why why would you make that decision so quickly?" And the, the client said, "No one has ever asked me that before um, and and so you know those those types of conversations can be very, very powerful mm. yeah absolutely uh, so and I think you know along the same lines while we're talking about business model transformation, I think you know something that kind of goes hand in hand with that 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 seems to be a pretty hot topic in the profession these days is 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 client advisory services and it seems like everyone that that I've talked to is either trying to make the move or, or or wants to but doesn't know how to start. Why why should firms be thinking seriously about making that move toward advisory services today?
0: Sure, and you know when I get in this conversation, Bill, sometimes I have firms give me a funny look and say, "What do you mean start advisory services? I already do it." <laughs> and and that's when I start to think about, but what is the center? of your relationship with the customers. And historically the center is around compliance work and advisory stuff, stuff's very technical term, careful when you use that one, Mm -hmm. is an offshoot of the compliance work. Mm -hmm. And I believe that the future is the inversion of that to where um, the center is around the advisory nature of the relationship. And the compliance work is simply an outgrowth of that that goes to help make sure we're able to get the benefit of the advisory service. And so I think that that is, that is a critical piece. Clients want to be engaged about their trajectory, not about their transaction. And that's why your example you gave about the prospect hiring the firm on the spot, that's why. They want to be engaged because of a trajectory, because of a path that they're going. I think firms are are aware and younger business owners are willing to say, I don't know enough about that. I I know I need to bring in partners around me to help my business go. So they were willing to give leading control and freedom to their partners to help make their business go. And accounting firms are one of those. And so few accounting firms are out there taking the lead on that, going, we're here about your trajectory of where your business is going, how it's going to achieve the goals that you as the business owner want it to achieve for you. So let's look at that. What does that mean? you know, oh, you're going to incorporate? Sounds good. What's your exit strategy later, right? That's, that's not a normal conversation, but it sets a tone for the relationship that says whatever compliance services come up, those are not why we're here. We're here to help you achieve your goals and the compliance services are there to reinforce and then make sure that we're able to sustain the impact.
1: And, you know, and it, and it strikes me that, that, um, New technologies that that everyone seems to be talking about these days uh, uh, goes hand in hand with this conversation. W- would you agree? I mean, they, those those technologies might help us automate a lot of that compliance work, so that we have the capacity to to do these kind of higher value services for our clients.
0: Yes, absolutely. And in, in, in an industry that has struggled for years to attract new highly technical accounting talents that battles, uh, especially in the small end, to retain their talents. And and although that's becoming a a larger uh, battle in the large firm segment as well, but we have to look at things differently. And if we're going to put through production, we've got to look to technology to help drive some of that production, to help maybe surface the opportunities for advisory services. As I talk to firms about advisory, one of the things I hear from them is, how do I know what opportunities I should put in front of my different customers? And I think that's an area where we should really be able to rely on technology and say, hey, we know opportunities, we know the, the data rules, we have the data sets. We've got to be able to let technology lead us and say, hey, here's where you can go engage in opportunity. Here's where some things are. So I think that that's a key part of technology. I think it's also important to remember that our customers are aware of technological advancement as well. And their expectation is that we're using it. And we're using it well. And mm-hmm. They're not going to really know that uh, on their own independently or state that. But I think that that's just an assumption is that they hear a lot about AI. They hear a lot about financial tech that sits out there and go, well, we assume you've got the technology to make these things work quickly and well, and you're going to be in front for us. So while unspoken, I think it's a common expectation of our customers.
1: Uh, yeah. I'm kind of curious. Among the firms that you, that, that you work with, um, what are you seeing as, as like best practices in this area of, of advisory services? Who, who's who's doing what really really well?
0: So you know, as we work with firms that go through practice Forward and others that are heavily involved with advisory services and making that the center of their relationship, they're they're doing well. Couple things. One is they are engaging properly with their customer. So they're engaging around the trajectory, but they're also engaging with quality scope. And there's really an identified what's included, what's not included, and set that expectation up front. And they're doing that to say, look, we're going to engage together to help you achieve given results. And Mm-hmm. The bill, the cost, all of that is around the value of the results, not around the time commitment, right? Mm-hmm. And so they're centered on those things. I believe that they're focused on not trying to gain as many clients in number, but the right kind of clients where they say, hey, we can really service you. I, I was being challenged by a particular firm around some of the advisory services and said, he "said well, I already do the accounting work for for, um, a, a particular church. Here's what I charge them per month. What can I do for them for advisory? And I think we have to step away from thinking that everybody is the right client. I said to him, I said, Hey, if you want to go down the heavy advisory route, that's probably, and, and this coming from the guy whose dad was a pastor of a church, right? <laughs> that's probably not your ideal client right? There's going to be some sporadic stuff that may come up, but that's not where you have to target. And I think that sometimes our aversion to change makes us go to these examples where we can't think of what to do differently. And it really hurts us from an opportunity cost perspective. Yeah, you're going to have some clients where you don't do much differently. Or you might have some clients where it just doesn't make sense to maintain that style of relationship because there are more self-service opportunities for compliance-only customers or pure individuals, small nonprofits with very little need uh, from a growth perspective. So, you know, I think you got to relook at your who your clients are. Go deeper with those. We know it's more cost-effective to maintain clients than to get new ones. You know, I would say that uh, the cost of client acquisition and the cost of staff training or staff turnover, pardon me, two largest costs that accounting firms deal with, maybe outside of uh, capital, um, from a, an infrastructure perspective, right? Mm-hmm. And so why, why battle more client acquisition costs when you could drive deeper with the clients that you already do have, your margins better, the relationship is building a lot of trust and loyalty because it's about the trajectory and uh, you you know what you're getting into with those customers.
1: So still a lot of questions about you know where to begin uh, when it comes to adding the, these types of, of services. Does it start with with that? is it Is it as simple as, as assessing your 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 current stable of clients and figuring out who needs what? You know, I think that you've
0: got to make a choice of do I want to start with the first new client in? get comfortable there? Or do I want to look to my existing client base and uh, begin to make some moves? Most firms that I work with uh, end up saying, hey, the next new client that walks in the door, we're going to do it differently. We're going to learn and adapt from that, kind of get a feel for what the rhythm is, how the conversations go, make sure that we have the right tools and content to support delivering in an advisory way or delivering in an advisory-centric way. And then they say, okay, who are the current clients that we're underserving? The other thing I would encourage you to do if you say, hey, I, I'm not even bringing on new clients right now. Capacity is a major issue. I want to focus on current clients. I think you have to look for clients that are shifting in their business life cycle. You know, what are the triggers that are pointing towards a client shifting from growth mode to maturity mode? What are the triggers that are shifting uh, where they're thinking about succession or exit on the business. Because whenever you can take an advantage of a change in the business life cycle, you as the accountant are not bringing change. That's the biggest fear, right? Is How can I approach my existing clients who are used to working with me in this particular way to all of a sudden work in a different way? I'm afraid of what their response will be. Well, first, I think we're more afraid of that than our customers actually are. That's the Feedback I get from firms that have kind of bit the bullet and said, I'm just going to go talk to my clients. What they hear is, great, we've been waiting for this. Awesome, let's do it. They don't look to the past like we do. They just want to look forward. But if you're afraid of that, just look for the clients who already have some kind of change happening. If I'm going to go through and acquire another company, great, I've brought change to the accounting firm. Now the accounting firm can work that relationship in a different way. And it's the client that's bringing the change, not the accounting firm.
1: Mhm mhm Um they, are there any kind of like non-traditional skills or competencies we're going to have to master in order to to provide these types of services?
0: Well, yes, with the caveat of this is non-traditional in the accounting industry and that would be the skill of relating to clients. <laughs> um, so and and we we paint with broad strokes, that's probably unfair, but I think we really have to look at how do we communicate well with clients. And if we're going to engage around a trajectory, we have to cast value differently. We have to paint the future and, and talk about those things. We have to listen in a more unique way than we have before. We we can't keep listening for numbers. Mm-hmm. We've got to listen for passion. We have to listen for pain. We've got to listen for direction. So we've got to do things a little bit differently from a client relationship perspective. And I think that's good news from a struggling with talent mindset as well. And to say, hey, if I've got to listen and work, focus on client relationships, most firms, the folks that are really great at cranking out complex tax returns, financial statement stuff that goes on, those are not necessarily going to always be the top ones of really relating to customers and building those relationships, uh, managing projects internally at the firm to see where things go. So that kind of skill differential gives us opportunity to look for talent in different places, not in the same old place.
1: And the, 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 that that thought of, of, of client relations, that, in, that could encompass, boy, a... a... A number of different kind of skill sets, you know. I'm, I'm thinking storytelling and strategic mm-hmm. thinking, and uh, you know, collaboration, empathy. Those those types of things all kind of dovetail into that that entire notion of of client relations.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We should write a book together, Bill, the empathetic accountant. <laughs>
1: Uh, bestseller, I can see it already. Yes. Um, given, uh, I'm kind of curious. We'll uh, put, you know, to, to put on your your uh, your your future uh, futurist hat here for a second. And given the exponential pace of of change these days, I'm curious what you think the future of this profession looks like. So, I think the future is an exciting one.
0: And, um, I've never been one that says, oh, change is coming. What will we do? It is, hey, change is coming. Where's the opportunity, Mm -hmm. right? And some of that is a life mindset, but that's really a choice as well. And I think that if you look at the future of the profession, I already mentioned that businesses know where their expertise is and is not, and there's more willingness to partner than ever before, I believe, in the business community. If you look at um, Doblin's model of innovation, partnership is one of those that stands out. And, And I think that small businesses, even large businesses, really accept that and say, hey, there's good things that we can do together that are better than if we did it ourselves. And I think that accounting firms have to recognize that they are gonna be one of those partners to other businesses. And so, you know, We got to position that from a, again, long-term relationship standpoint and not a, I will get your forms done perspective. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and so I think the future is around partnership with business. And if that's going to be successful for you in the future, then you have to position your value that way. And that's where I think it starts with that next new client. How are you going to position your value? How do you talk about what you provide? How do you listen and set an early on relationship tone, even in the prospecting stage? We got to form new muscle memory. It can't be, we do good taxes. You know, we do poor English and good taxes, apparently. (laughs) Um, You know, it, it, it can't be about that. I think more than ever, prospects have an assumption. Yeah, you work in an accounting firm. Of course, you know how to do taxes. You don't have to prove it to me, you don't have to hang 12 degrees in the wall. I believe you because I've already checked out some references. I've looked at your website before I showed up here. So I believe you can actually do the job. Now I want to find out if you're the right one to do the job. And mm-hmm. the right one is about the relationship. It's about the trajectory. It's about the path. It's not about the skill.
1: And what, we, what do we need to start doing now to kind of position ourselves to, to be that type of advisor going forward? Um,
0: a couple things. One, I think you have to increase the transparency internally in the firm. Um, and, and this has been a bit of a soapbox. I've been on one-on-one with firms whenever I have the chance to is that as you continue to change and adopt and move forward, firms who are more transparent with what's happening have a better chance of success and change and have a better chance to leverage change for their benefit as opposed to just surviving it. So I think that's one of the things is we have to be transparent. And if we're going to be about the trajectory of a client, about the uh, long-term relationship, then there has to be a better sharing of the client story in the firm. Everyone that touches the client data has to know what context they're operating under for that client. Are they in growth mode? Are they looking to sell their business in a little while? So we're not trying to minimize tax. We're trying to you know, maximize income, um, whatever it may be in terms of where we're trying to take that one. So I think that increased transparency in a firm is a key part of that transition. And again, just how are you positioning your value? It might be a great time to look at your website, right? Mm-hmm. What, what is the first thing that you talk about? Yeah. Most, most of the tax accounting firms, it's purely the compliance services that sit out there. And yet prospects are looking at the website before they show up to make sure they're legitimate. And if that's all you're touting, you've got an uphill battle uh, when it comes to positioning your value differently during those prospect meetings. Right. So I think that um, that's something that you ought to take a look at as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, Will, thanks for the time and, and for the insights some really, some really great ideas there and uh, uh, looking forward to continuing the conversation with you. Th-
0: thanks for your time. All right. I appreciate it, Bill.
1: That was Will Hill, the tax professionals advisory product manager for Thompson Reuters. To learn more, you can visit thompsonreuters.com slash tax dash accounting also, Will has written a terrific blog post about all of this. It's called "Don't Underestimate the Value of CPA Advisory Services." You can find it at j.m.p/slash CPA Advisory. And hey, before I forget, we've you know we've been doing this podcast for about a year and a half now, and so far I've been making all the decisions about who I'll be talking to on a week by week basis, which, quite frankly, is just a little selfish of me. Um, I can be kind of a control freak that way. So I want to know, who do you think I should be talking to? If you've got some ideas about topics or guests for upcoming shows, let me know by dropping me a line at bill at blionline.org and, and just let me know or just say hi. I'd, I'd love to hear from you either way. And, and don't forget, this week's sponsor is the Business Learning Institute, the BLI's Future Ready Learning Framework outlines the skills that CPAs need to thrive in the rapidly changing world of accounting and finance. That framework is all about gaining and maintaining deep technical knowledge along with a strategic skill set, and we're talking about strategic aptitudes that have been identified as most crucial for tomorrow's CPAs. Start mastering these future-ready skills now by visiting macpa.org/future-learning and that is all I've got for you, gang. Have a great week. Talk to you soon.